0: This episode of Phone Booth Fighting, Frank, is brought to you by Freshly.com. Enter the promo code PHONEBOOTH and get $40 off your first two orders of freshly cooked meals from Freshly.com. Six meals cooked by Freshly staff of chefs for only $39. That's the money-saving opportunity, but let's talk about the quality of food because Freshly is now feeding us, Frank. They are shipping us. Uh, absolutely fresh, already prepared, uh, never frozen meals that all we have to do is pop in the oven, pipe in the microwave. A couple of minutes later, we're eating. And uh, especially for a couple of uh, bon vivants like us who are always on the go, uh, that is a tremendous uh, advantage to have.
1: I think it's a huge advantage, especially everybody nowadays in a hectic lifestyle. Man, I mean, being a father of uh, three kids that are active in sports and the wife and I trying to be in part of everything, uh, sitting down and and making full meals is difficult. This is a great way to go ahead and, uh, you know, still get a a meal that's nutritious and not just, uh, you know, a fast food meal, which is a lot of times what we revert to. And I think a lot of families do when you're running low on time this is super fast you can eat at home and it's uh super convenient
0: it's one of these things where and i guess it's you know the the, the modern age of uh the internet and the convenience that that <laughs> affords it's just there, there are certain times that i remember you know getting like uh i order contact lenses now online for example and and food through freshly.com has now come into my life where it's like i've only been uh eating this for a couple of weeks i'm like why would i i not doing this sooner like this is the easiest thing in the world somebody's actually shipping food to my house it's like ordering takeout but you don't even have to uh order it on a a a nightly basis because you can order those uh six meals at a time get them for the price of uh, four with uh the phone booth promo code but uh there's that but there's also the health uh, quality aspect of it because as you and i often point out when you're in a hurry, the a lot of times there's there's a reason why the word fast is in fast food. That's what everybody grabs for, but the problem is fast food is terrible for you. Freshly.com provides you healthy meals with the same convenience of fast food.
1: Yeah, more cost efficient.
0: Absolutely it is. Speaking of cost efficient one more time, freshly.com what you do is you go there, you enter the promo code phone booth and they're going to give you 6 quality fresh cooked meals for the price of four so that's six meals for uh forty dollars off your first two orders that's going to work on your first two orders six meals for thirty nine dollars you're going to enjoy those you're going to want to reorder and then you know what use the same promo code again same offer is available promo code phone booth get six meals at freshly.com for thirty nine dollars Uh, This episode of Phone Booth Fighting Frank is also brought to you by our friends at Earth's Brew, Jonathan and Joe. Good Phone Booth Fighting listeners running their uh, small business of plant-based relaxation-fused nirvana. The best of all worlds, health, taste, efficacy, and experience. We always have the box of uh, Earth's Brew here on the table. Uh, if you watch us on the Foam Boot Fighting YouTube channel, just a little uh, 15 calorie uh, per packet powder that you uh, put in uh, some water. And uh, it's a great all natural way to relax, to unwind, uh, especially at the end of uh, a long day, maybe some intense training, or uh, maybe just a, a long day out there on the job site like Travis has.
1: Yeah, and getting back in uh, your sleep order. That's what I use it for. So much travel. Once you get home and you want to get back on the proper schedule, it's nothing like helping you to get into a nice, uh, relaxed state before bed.
0: You know what I almost used it for the other night? We had a, uh, a larger-than-expected uh, turnout of trick-or-treaters at Halloween, and we went through a couple of big bags of candy, and uh, Jennifer said, what, what else do we have? We got, we got. It looks like we got more kids coming down the street. And I was like, Earthbrew? We got packets of Earth's Brew, but I don't know. I don't know if it's okay for all ages or not. So I didn't want. Sure, the parents
1: would have appreciated a good night's sleep.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I I didn't want to be accused as the uh, weird neighbor that's dosing all the kids. So I I didn't do Earth's Brew, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean I don't. I don't know what their stance is. I'll I'll clarify that for next week. I'll find out. I if saw somebody who a,
1: put up a, a yeah. thing on the uh, on a side note of that. Yeah. Where they're like, oh, you know, because marijuana is legal now in Vegas, beware of. You know, uh, people being assholes and maybe putting edibles as far. oh right,
2: uh, that's, right. Uh,
1: <laughs> But
0: they don't. I. I they
2: probably do not want to give that away. Exactly.
1: There's yeah. nobody in their right mind gonna yeah. pay that much for edibles yeah. and then hand them out to fucking neighbor kids.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I don't think so. All right, earthbrew. dot com. Enter the promo code phone booth, folks. Ten percent off all orders at checkout. Earthsbrew. dot com. Also. FrankLowTNation.com. Go to LowTNation.com. There's a phone number right there. Give them a ring if you are a man, uh, maybe in your late 30s, maybe in your early 40s, or even north of that, who uh, doesn't feel quite the same level of energy that uh, you have in uh, your past and you feel like, uh, you know, for whatever reason, you're just uh, having a hard time getting the, uh, the, the, the wheels of energy to turn. Uh, what you do is you give them a call. Uh, they will pair you up with a laboratory in your area. Doesn't matter where you're located, anywhere in the United States. And a quick lab visit to see if you're compatible for LowTNation.com's treatment. After, that, that's the hardest part about it, and I'll let you take it from there, Frank, because once you do that, that's basically the only out-of-house trip you have to make. And uh, once you do that lab testing, then uh, uh, then then Jason and, and Brandon at Low-T take over from there.
1: Yeah, I and mean, if you uh qualified and it's something that would help you out in your life, they set it up from there. They get you on the right amount of treatment that you're, uh, you know, to, to necessarily to bring you to where your levels are going to be back to where you were when you were in your 20s. And you'll be feeling good and all the activities that you, you know, would like to be a part of that you feel sluggish or tired for. You'll be able to now be able to have more motivation and uh, things are shipped directly to your house. So you'll be very consistent and very convenient, which is something that... Uh, You know, I think it always uh, spells success.
0: You know, one thing we do here on Phone Booth Fighting, Frank, is for our listeners, with all of our sponsors, they will just come right to your door. I mean, you can can actually touch every... Uh, every company that backs phone booth fighting and the product just gets sent right to your door. This is a podcast made for agoraphobes. There's basically never a reason to have to leave your house. (laughs) Phone booth fighting is delivered to your house and, uh, all of our, uh, sponsors deliver their products as well. Go to lowtnation.com. Check them out. The, uh, over the phone consultation is free. They will take it from there. You will feel so much better and, uh, you're going to have that increased level of energy to, uh, get more uh, riled up when we are breaking down fights. LowTNation.com. All right, Frank, let's talk some fights. This is the UFC 217 post-fight edition. Hopefully you like fights because we have a lot of them to talk about today. And, um, man, UFC 217 went down last night, Madison Square Garden. Um, I guess the second big Madison Square Garden card. The first one was what, just about a year ago, once uh, MMA was finally sanctioned in New York State. And uh, of course, they want to they want to go big in Madison Square Garden, and uh, they did it again last night for the second year in a row. Three title fights on the card. Let me just say, as a general positioning statement, before we start breaking down these fights, card, uh, Frank, you can disagree with me if you want, but uh, I think this pay-per-view delivered uh, basically across the board. Not only every main card, uh, not every main card fight, but the prelims were exciting. There were a lot of finishes. There were title changes. Man, this one to me, this was one for. For the record books in ter- terms of all-time UFC pay-per-views, where I thought the card just delivered top to bottom,
1: I agree with you. It was one of the best cards I've seen in a long time, and I think out of all my predictions, I got one right.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, which is kind of a good sign because yeah. if you're getting all your predictions right, it, especially if you're good at predicting fights, a lot of times what that I mean the, what that could mean is that maybe the fights aren't all that compelling if if they're always easy to predict. So I would actually suggest that, that someone who is capable of a qualified opinion like yourself, if you do have an off night, that's probably a Pretty good testament to the matchmaking.
1: Yeah, the only fight that I got right was the, out of the four that I, uh, you know, that I made picks on was a, uh, my, you know, McDonald uh, the uh, Wonder Boy, yeah, uh, or Th- Stephen Thompson, sorry, and um, you know, that fight I thought could have been a little bit more exciting. You know, Thompson, you know, but you know, Masvidal's a, a tough guy, but. Thompson stayed definitely within his wheelhouse and just outscored and uh, you know struck He landed some good shots enough to make it a you know very uh, uh, decisive win but in that fight it's funny New York still I'm questioning how they do things there like between sometimes uh, did you did you listen to the scores right yeah, out Yeah
0: there? there was a there was a 10-8 round in there I didn't see any uh, to me there was no 10-8 how round How was there in a 10-8 round I didn't I didn't think so either No yeah, I
1: thought a 10-8 is like kicking someone's ass.
0: Right, right. And
1: I mean, I know he dropped Masvidal in a, I think in the second round.
0: That's a, Yeah, I think it was the second. But I mean, so, even
1: that, I mean, he stepped off, caught him with a nice right hand. Masvidal fell down. But I mean, you know, was able to get right back up, wasn't wobbled. It wasn't like it was close to being stopped.
0: And, and see, that's the key criteria for me. To me, a 10-8 round has to mean that somebody was at some point in danger the door. of being finished. Yeah, right that's there me on too. the yeah, I agree with you.
1: Line. I think that's a good way of yeah. estimating. It's like, hey, was the referee standing there giving the look? You know, yeah, I mean, right. was it close to being stopped?
0: Well, let's go in order. We'll work top-down on the card. We'll come back uh, to that uh, feature attraction. But uh, at the top of the card, and rightly so, especially after this performance last night, George St. Pierre defeats Michael Bisbing. Uh, by rear naked choke at four minutes and twenty three seconds of the third round, George Saint Pierre is the new UFC middleweight champion. Bisbing went out cold. He 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 didn't tap. He went to sleep. But uh, first of all, Frank, your thoughts on the the return of George Saint Pierre after a four year layoff?
1: Um, I thought in the first round he looked actually pretty good. As far as you know, he followed the strategy. He actually backed. Uh, Bisping up and Bisping very good at moving around, but where he gets people is that after you chase him, when Bisping starts moving forward, he's so busy and throws from so many different angles that he overwhelms you. And I had picked this fight as basically, you know, from rounds three on, I thought Bisping would just take over, be too much conditioning wise too hard to hold down I, I thought george could take him down but bisbing is very good at getting back up we've seen that in past fights where guys just he's like holding onto a wet bar of soap he just he's very good at getting a post turning his hips pressing off creating space and getting back up to his feet and he's very focused at doing that and so um i didn't think that you know that george being gone for so long and never being a you know a high volume type of fighter I didn't see how he was going to be able to put uh, uh, him away. But, you know, uh, uh, another fight, like I said, that I got wrong. Um, You started seeing what I thought the fight was going to occur uh, starting to happen. You know, in the first round, you know, like I said, George moved forward. He kept Bisping kind of off balance and did better than I actually kind of expected. And then I was like, oh, well, you know, maybe George is going to, you know, have a good run of it. And then exactly what I thought was going to happen, George started getting fatigued. He's not used to walking around with that amount of size on him, fighting. You know, you talk to anybody who's an endurance athlete, you know, you add 10, 15, 20 pounds to anybody's frame and it changes things. And George was dealing with that change. And then when he was taking Bisping down, it was difficult, couldn't hold him down. And when he did, he didn't really cause any damage. Even there in the the later part of the round when he had him in the full guard George ended up receiving most of the damage back up to him. Uh, Basically, you know, at that point, I don't think if he would have caught him with that uh, left hook, I think Bisbee would have went on to overwhelming him and probably stopping him. I, I didn't see George, at that point, as tired as George looked in the second round, I was like, "Fuck, he ain't gonna make it five rounds." Mm-hmm. I thought he'd lose, probably lose a decision, and I saw his meter clicking down. And we know Bisbing. I mean, for whatever you want to say negative about him, uh, you know, I know people have a hard time with his personality, rubs and wrong, but the guy can fight through through adversity i mean henderson basically almost killed him with two different punches in their fight and he still got back up to his feet was still busy still the more active fighter even in the fifth round after the abuse and damage he took from uh, henderson so you knew that he was going to come on strong and uh you know george showed that you know champions find a way to win and he caught him with that left hook and then when he damaged him he couldn't finish him off the strikes and then i was at first like oh he might have a chance and then i was like oh shit He's going to blow his wad. George is trying to get him out of here. He's going to be dead. And then he was able to you know wrap the neck in very beautiful application of the rear naked choke. And then you could see that the years of him pl- training with John Danner has paid off because his understanding of the back control was immaculate. Mm. Not only did he control it, but you see how when he grabbed the butterfly hook when he put in the hook if you watch the fight again he reverses it to the hamstring uses a, a crab ride and he did that to control and angle the hips so that way bisping couldn't position his body out of misalignment from the rear naked choke uh he did that even fatigued and tired so that part of george's game is definitely uh taken huge mounds, you know, strides and I'm curious to see his evolution if he goes back down to welterweight uh, you know and he's able to now fight five rounds you know I, I think that's something that I could you know add a very uh, dangerous uh, um extension to his game is that you know he had submissions i mean he had submitted matt hughes and you know but he was more of a ground and pound guy mm-hmm. uh, really beat you up with elbows and and, and really you know imposes inf- uh, impose his will there but now that if his submission game has gotten up to the you know to some of the guys he trains with at the dan Hur death squad he might you know be a whole new rainfall
0: yeah that was can we pull the door do you think we can pull the door to any travis on the uh here in the phone booth fighting bunker the um uh Security dogs are they uh, yeah. wound up about something going on out at the guardhouse. Oh, that's I think.
1: because uh, we have other kids here, and, and, oh. that, and the small dog baby. She just hates children. She's mm. a, she is a grandma dog if there ever exists. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, you know it. it you talk about uh, GSP's corner—the uh, the additions of not only John Danaher but uh, also Freddie Roach in the corner. Uh, By the way, this was the first time that Freddie Roach, uh, a boxing uh, training legend, had ever cornered an MMA fighter. He's worked with some other guys. It was the first time we'd ever seen him corner in the cage. And... You know, uh, uh, George's boxing, I mean, his, his jab looked great, which yeah, it, I, it has in the past. Yeah, yeah. But I remember mean, Right, he, I mean, he basically he beat, beat him with beat, crushed Koscheck crushed with his the jab. Crushed But against Bisping, who is one of the the better b- boxers in the UFC, I mean, even even that, I thought, looked pretty crisp, looked pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. He landed a lot of shots. And, 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 and also, too, I mean not to put it out there, I, mean, I guess I am putting it out there. I've always wondered about Bisbing's ability to see things coming mm-hmm. uh, because of the eye damage he took in that Vitro Belford fight. You know, the eye, I mean, yeah. you just, every time he's even on camera, if you look at Bisbing, he doesn't look right. There's something wrong with the eye. And yeah. uh, I don't know what his field of vision really is. And, uh, and George, I think, even alluded to that in the post-fight, you know, uh, interview, saying that, well, you know, we're going to go to the right a lot, knowing that he couldn't see anything to the left and, and catch him with a shot. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so I, I wonder if going into the future, if guys realize that Bisping really can't see punches coming. I mean, he can see bodies, and so I think that's what he. You know, if you watch, he's very good at controlling distance because he can see where you are physically, as far as your hips to his hips, that ratio. But when punches come at him. He doesn't really react to them. If you watch his reactions, he reacts to motion coming his way. He'll move his body away from that. But as far as individual punches, it's not even like he grimaces before. It's like, you know, you, oh, I, I didn't see that shot. Oh, shit, too late to get out of the way. He, he's sitting there and he just gets caught cold turkey with some pretty hellacious shots.
0: Yeah. What do you think about uh, GSP? I mean, now he's the middleweight champion. It it seemed to be the logical school of thought that uh, he was going to come into this fight, this was a one-off, and then he would go back down to his natural uh, welterweight uh, division. And in his comments after the fight, Kind of sounded like that's what he was saying. He talked about the fact that's his natural division, but I, I didn't hear him completely dismiss out of hand uh, taking another fight at middleweight, but he's he's got the title now. So to me, even if he's going to go back down and fight at welterweight, I hate to just i. There's something that rubs me wrong about somebody just going and winning a title and then it's just never defended. Kind of like what we went through with uh, uh, with uh, uh, Jermaine Durandamy and the women's uh, flyweight title. You know she she won it uh, as an inaugural oh, title Connor. and it's just gone. He
1: hasn't defended the
0: title. Okay, that. so that's the that's the comparison I was going to bring up with Connor though, because because McGregor is the UFC's first dual division champion, right. right? And so why not give George a shot at matching that record? Like, let, let him go ahead and go back down fight Welterweight. I assume he would get a welterweight title shot because he he vacated the title when he yeah. left. He didn't no, lose no it. Doubt it. I mean,
1: so, if he can get a title shot at middleweight, then he more than qualifies. Sure,
0: sure. There's so, no
1: argument for him getting no. a direct title shot. So,
0: so let's give him that, but but maybe, you know, because there, there was already uh, – No, you don't
1: yank the belt from him. I exactly. think that's maybe why he was measuring his words. Okay, I assume that it's, well, if I say that I'm never going to defend the middleweight belt – you guys might just strip yeah. me and then I fight welterweight. But if I kind of leave it gray, as long as I, you know, I have about a year before we talk yep. about yanking it from me or creating an interim belt like they did with uh, um, uh, Connor, where mm-hmm. Connor waited so long to make the fights occur, mm-hmm. they ended up yanking the featherweight belt from him. So, I mean, he was what the two division champ for about a month. Yeah, you know, whereas maybe you know George can you know idealistically go down fight at welterweight, maybe go ahead and have Whitaker fight somebody else.
0: Luke Rockholt, maybe. Yeah,
1: Luke, you know, and because
0: uh, they've got a card coming up in Perth, uh, and so you know you you would obviously want a, a native like Whitaker on that. Uh, that could make a lot of and sense. I don't think
1: George George is being smart. You know he's not a spring chicken, and I think he deserves to be able to call out who he wants to fight according to the criteria and what he's mm-hmm. done in the sport. Look what he just did with the Bisping fight, uh, and so um, I don't think a Robert Whitaker fight is a fight he wants. Mm-hmm. Robert Whitaker's a you know, stylistically, is not a good fight for him. Not that he can't beat him, but Robert Whitaker hits hard. He's busy. You know, uh, you know, you've seen Yol Romero, who's a very good you know big middleweight wrestler not really able to impose his will on him mm-hmm. for long periods of time I could see the same issue happening you know with with George And, uh, you know, and and Whitaker, if he does have a victory over Whitaker, is not really great. I mean, George St. Pierre is a legend in our sport. Robert Whitaker is still creating, you know, and making his name. Uh, You know, so I think having him fight Luke Rockhold and and seeing what emerges from that. And I really think George fighting uh, uh, Woodley would make the most sense right now. I mean, and why wouldn't Woodley immediately, you know, accept that fight? And you
0: know what? Tyrone Woodley needs that right now. For his marketability. I mean, I know that this would upset him to hear because he is the champion. But, you know, there, there's there's there been backlash over Woodley's last couple of fights, you know? And when you're talking about trying to sell something as a pay-per-view main event, if if you put George St. Pierre against Tyrone Woodley, you can sell that as a pay-per-view main event. Take GSP out of it, put somebody else in there, and how sellable is it no, right now?
1: And actually, two of my actually... Maybe Woodley just needs to pretty much embrace the heel because uh, I think that's something he has a hard time with. Is that yeah for whatever reason? And I don't really know. Has he said anything or done anything publicly that why people dislike him? No, it, it's just it's just
0: the fighting style and and but he knocks people. I mean, the only fights he's ever he had.
1: Well, it's just the McDonald's or uh, the Thompson fights that were bad
0: and the uh, Maya fight. That was the last one. Oh, that yeah, the one. Maya fight let was... me tell you something. I was there for that fight live. And but, I
1: mean, up to that point, the guy was exciting to watch. I mean, so, I mean, two different people who were stylistically. I mean, and Maya has made a lot of people not look good in even beating him.
0: Yeah. I think, though, what it also uh, – because when I think of Tyron Woodley and excitement, I think of the Robbie Lawler fight. Yeah. That, that, that massive KO. I mean, but, Josh Koschek, I remember him just – Yeah. Lighting him up. I mean, but, but the thing is, I mean, the, I think the, the fans have kind of a short term memory, especially when somebody ascends to a championship. So it's kind of like once you get that title, I think sometimes to fans, it's like, okay, it's like a clean slate. It's like, you know, what's your reign going to be like? Is it Um, going to be exciting or not? So I, I just think that he could, I mean, I, I, I think sometimes he's not appreciated properly. But at the same time, I think what happens, and and he will tell you this, is that, you know, he he fights smart. I mean, he he makes more money as a champion. This is his job. This is his career. He thinks in terms of, you know, I I, I fight to stay a champion and keep this belt and make the bigger paydays and all that sort of thing, and that's fine. But if you're going to adopt that philosophy as opposed to, uh, you know, i like a cowboy Cerrone kind of philosophy, uh, you're going to end yeah, it comes up with consequences. Yeah, the consequences, uh, one I way or another, going to come with the fans. But I think that pairing him with George St. Pierre right now could be, and then let's say he looks good. Let's th- there's an opportunity. Yeah. You know, it, 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 have an exciting fight, whether you win or lose, have an exciting fight, and then that'll get you. Uh, I, I think back on the right side of that equation. So I like that fight uh, for. George Saint Pierre, and then you, uh, like I said, maybe you let Whitaker just keep that interim title right now, defend that interim title once, and then that'll that'll buy a little bit of time. Now, we I think a lot of questions were answered. Seeing George, it's a four year layoff, and you know he didn't come out of some sort of shell of his former self. I mean, he 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 looked like uh, as 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 little of a layoff as four years could ever be that it you know it had maybe as little as possible effect on him. So so that being said, and also looking at the UFC landscape right now, what they need in terms of marketability and and uh, and and you know superstar names, could we maybe, and, and I don't know if one fight is enough to even start this conversation But does it kind of make you start to think again in the back of your head about, hey, you know what? Maybe one day seeing George St. Pierre fight Conor McGregor isn't the craziest thing.
1: It'd be a huge pay-per-view, but, man, I don't know. Uh, That's a lot of size. (laughs) Well,
0: okay, so we've seen Conor fight at welterweight. Well, first of all, they have fight at welterweight. But we've seen Conor fight at welterweight. George was never the biggest welterweight. He wasn't? No, I don't think. I mean, he was... I wouldn't say the biggest. I mean, I don't think of him in terms of like. I always thought he
1: was pretty thick for welterweight. I mean, he would show up to the fights yeah. easily 195. I mean, his shoulders, his chest, his legs, and his ass. I mean, yeah, I mean when I think for- of George, I think of somebody who actually you know, didn't have death weight cuts. Right. But I can't think of a fight right now on the top of my head, right, that George was outsized.
0: Um, no. No. I mean he is he's a very thick muscular guy, but I'm just thinking if especially on fight night if you saw him matched up against Conor McGregor, I don't know if it would look that out of whack if they were fighting at 170. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean and then when when George is at 170, the guy is shredded. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that at, at 168 that that uh, you know, connor would show up at i mean but connor hits hard i mean he has a nice straight left hand he could possibly catch him so it isn't a fight to where you sit there and go well it's impossible for connor to win yeah shit i mean there's a huge possibility i mean connor's straight left hand i mean catches anybody and they can go to sleep so
0: yeah well, it's just something to consider down the line but and, and of course there's going to be a lot involved in even getting connor Back into the UFC. You know, he laid down the gauntlet uh, the other day publicly and said he's not back in the UFC without co-promoting. And uh, Dana responded and said, yeah, we'll work that out. I think Dana's – that's a foregone conclusion now. He just looks at it and goes, yeah, of course I'm going to have to co-promote with this guy. Let's let's do it. Let's just get him involved. That's what I'm reading into what Dana's saying because he sings an entirely different tune than he used to in the past whenever co-promoting was talked about, rightfully so. Um, So I I just think that's something to consider for down the line because one thing Conor McGregor is going to be looking at if he continues to fight in MMA – I think he's going to want to break box office records by not just a little. I don't think it's going to be enough for him in the next few years to just have the what would be considered the all-time biggest selling pay-per-views. I think he's going to look to just shatter those records and like set a, a whole new standard. I think he wants – you know what? Well, you I know think what? If he, he wants
1: – If George fights Woodley, let's say he's successful and beats Woodley, he now becomes a two-division champion. Yep. Could you imagine? I mean, that's one hell of a sell. I mean, the two only two division champions in the UFC are both actively fighting right now, and they're going to fight each other.
0: Mm Hmm. Yeah.
1: That might be the biggest pay per view of all time.
0: Yeah, and and maybe what if between the, what if between? I mean, I'm just gonna we're brainstorming here. I'm just gonna get crazy. But what if by the time they fight, you've got two fighters and three championships between them. What if Connor's still the lightweight champion? What if GSP had the welterweight and the middleweight title, and they fight for the welterweight title? Yeah, that's interesting. Somebody's gonna, you know, take somebody else's. Well, I guess if Connor won, he would take the the welterweight. Anyway, it's just kind of a, I guess it's kind of a fun thing to uh, play fantasy matchmaker about. But I think Connor will, if he comes back to MMA. I think he is going to look to have the equivalent of like the the Mayweather Pacquiao type, you know, record, the all-time box office record, or, you know, now the the Mayweather McGregor pay-per-view record. I think he's gonna want something like that. And it just it just seems like if everything stays on track, if George continues to look like he looked last night, then maybe that is the marquee name that he need because Connor. Has never had, he's never fought. Uh, he's never had a legendary opponent. I mean, he he's had he had leg- he had some some a couple of great fights with Nate Diaz. No, well, Jose but Aldo. It, uh, but to the casual- to the more casual fan, yes, certainly a legend. But I'm talking about when you run that 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 trailer on Sports Center. How do they react to the name of the opponent that he has? You know, I mean all due respect to Jose Aldo. But I'm just saying back then, if you had run that trailer on Sports Center, that would not have gotten the kind of reaction that I think a future fight if you ran uh you know Conor McGregor and George St. Pierre side by side what that would mean to the more casual sports fan sure i just think that that's something that Conor's legacy could could really use moving forward if he comes back to MMA hey back to bisbing for one second and not to add insult to injury uh maybe it was just me tell me if it was did bisbing look not quite as cut as he normally does i don't know if you know he just looked a little smoother did you notice that travis
2: yeah we were talking about that too oh yeah he he looked a little bit more dad bodish yeah he
0: didn't look bad i mean i wasn't like oh my gosh he's horribly out of shape but i just i think a bisping is a little more of a cut six-pack type abdomen and and just yeah there was just just a little smoother I don't know if that he's, means anything. He's getting older. He's
2: almost forty. I mean, that's, yeah, that's fair. That's what I, we look like, right?
0: Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I. I'm not, I don't mean to judge, but uh, I did just kind of notice that about him. Um, all right, co-main event: Cody Garbrandt, TJ Dillashaw. Now, Frank, you and I have been saying forever now that, in fact, I think I said last week that of all the fights we have ever talked about leading up to. I think we may have spent the most time talking about this fight uh, cumulatively in terms of analyzing all the different things that could happen without really being able to ar- arrive at too definitive of a conclusion. You like Garbrandt going into this fight, I think, but just by a little, right?
1: It was really kind of a, a pick him for me Wait For me, too. Yeah, and I kind of decided with Garbrandt because of... Uh, uh, the fact he was the champ, you know, I seen what he did to, to uh, Dominic. Dominic Cruz. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, common opponent, you know, uh, you know, TJ struggled with Cruz. You know, it was a close fight, but, you know, Cody Garbrandt, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I don't think that Cruz even won a round. You know, I mean, he completely smashed him. Um, and so I thought, all right, well, you know, it's probably a good reason to pick him, but but you, you really in this fight, and I kind of suspected a little bit before, but, I thought maybe he had other tools, but you really see that as far as on his feet, Garbrandt is more limited. Like what he does as far as the counterboxing and just, you know, his combinations, speed and power of his hands are exceptional. He's the best in the world, I think, in his weight class with the tools that he uses well. But I think some of the more unorthodox stuff of MMA, some of the kicks and whatnot, I think kind of uh, harder for him to register. Uh, I think that, you know, that, and you saw that every time that, uh, you know, uh, TJ threw kicks, he really wasn't seeing them. And his, his basically only answer is to move out of the way. Uh, and um, and that's what ended up catching him in the fight. You know, he got caught with the kick in the in there in the second round, where that was the beginning of the end for him. And then uh, you know, then then when uh, TJ switched stance and was standing southpaw, he caught him with the lead right hook as he was trying to throw his punch and got clipped right on the chin and uh and uh so you know again like garban i think still going to be a force to reckon with but i think he just kind of has to open his game up a little bit do some of the things that actually some of the other guys in his weight class are very versatile at doing switching stances and and, and those type of kicks are not completely just unseen nowadays and almost all the top guys fight that way now you know even at 125 when you see uh, you know a dj fight they're moving the flowing from stance to stance using different strikes mm. uh much more of a complete offensive game of tools where it seems that you know cody has some very efficient like i said the tools he has some of the best in the world i just don't think his toolbox is very deep
0: dillashaw uh tkos garbrandt two minutes and 41 seconds into the second round that was not before though garbrandt dropped dillashaw at the end of the
1: first round
0: And that's a testament to how tough T.J. Dillashaw is because he looked really wobbly going back to his corner after the first round.
1: Super impressed with T.J.'s resiliency because if you watch that again, he was moving in to throw his punch. He got caught with an overhand right full blast from Garbrandt, right? That's pretty much a punch that in that scenario, the other guy doesn't even wake up for two or three minutes, you know, mm-hmm. completely unconscious. You have the whole body moving one direction, and then now someone puts their fist, throws an overhand right, knocks him in the chin, spins his brain the opposite direction that his his head's or his head's going one way, the brain spins is still falling the direction that you set up momentum-wise. I can't believe he wasn't Coldstone knocked out. And the fact that he was able to, when he fell down, bounce up to his feet and start to try to, you know, you know, salvage to not be stopped in the end of that first round. And then came back actually after a minute rest and had recovered, blew my mind. I mean, he took one of the best shots that, that really Garbrat can throw on him. And, uh, survived and didn't get his lights put out. I mean so TJ has one hell of a chin.
0: So TJ Dillashaw is uh now again the Bantamweight champion. This fight, to me, uh for the couple of rounds it lasted absolutely lived up to its hype. It was exciting. I'd love to see it again. Yeah. I don't know that Garbrandt couldn't beat TJ Dillashaw. Uh I mean it, it, it to me it was instantly compelling in terms of the the matchup and for as much build up as it had it really looked like it, uh, it delivered, and I didn't think that the— You know, it's also—I look for this in, in fights, too. It, it, despite whatever the outcome was last night, is that outcome a foregone conclusion, in my mind, Basically, anytime they would fight, and the answer is no. No,
1: if they fought again, I mean, I still think it's a close pick 'em fight, especially because I'm sure that you know, uh, Buckles is going to go back and look at it, things that, uh, that TJ does, and trying to maybe cover up some of the ways to the one thing that Garbrandt really made a mistake at tactically, in my opinion, is that even though he moved out of the way of the kicks of TJ. There was no punishment for it, right? Mm. You immediately seen that, okay, you're going to throw a kick. I'm just going to scoot out of the way of it. So anytime someone has an attack in MMA offensively, if all I do is evade it, you're going to use that attack again. Why not? There was no punishment for it. You're going to keep throwing it. All right, Mm -hmm. well, if I can just throw this and you're just going to run from it, then now I'm going to use it maybe to set something else up, Mm -hmm. but there's no pain for it. There needs to be
0: like some Pavlovian conditioning. 100%.
1: -hmm. That's why, you know, one of the best ways to stop a low kick is to check it, Mm -hmm. right? All of a sudden, you go to throw a kick. I lift my shin up. We clash shin to shin. You're probably not going to throw a low kick again, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, ow, that fucking hurt. Yeah no or if i sit in on it and i fucking rack you with a punch and now you drop on the ground your brain goes "Eh, i'm not probably gonna throw too many more leg kicks you know what i mean like i always think that's funny when you see a corner a guy goes back and they're like all right you need to do this i'm like wait a minute you need to jab more i'm like but your guy is jabbing and when he did throw the jab the other guy caught him with an overhand right you need to tell him what to do to defeat the counter of what he's doing you can't just keep telling me to do the same thing over and over. It's like grab that pine; it's hot. Just fucking grab it. Well, why don't you tell me to put a fucking glove on, and now I'll grab it? Because even though I'm gonna try to listen to what you're saying, there's that Pavlonian effect of well, when I did that, coach, it hurt, and I don't want to do that shit again. You know what I mean? Like whether you admit it or not, our brains are being trained. You know, during the fight, it's like if you do this, I'm gonna smack you here. All right, shit. Well, I'm not gonna do that. And you know, there's that chess match going on, and that's part of it—the conditioning your opponent of if you go here, I'm gonna do this to you. Okay, well now you're not gonna do that what's your adjustment going to be trying to anticipate adjustments and, and, and then saying traps and whatnot going back and forth so the problem was is that and then you've seen that in the corner in the second round they're like just don't even set your kick up just throw it I'm like, holy shit. They're not even worried that he's going to counter them because he didn't have to throw anything in front of it. They're like, look, you're being too cautious. Basically, you're right. If we fought a very good guy that knew how to not that Cody's not a good guy, but if Cody had a good defense for your kicks, we need to set them up. So you're not a sitting duck in water, one foot in the air, one foot on the ground. And this guy's going to counter you. Cody's not defending your kicks as far as he's not countering your kick. Mm -hmm. Um, let him go. You know, you heard him say, it, "just, just throw them," and you would never say that. A coach would never say that to a fighter unless you had no fear of the counter. So then that shows that you know, Garbrandt's guys. It's like, hey, look. Cody has to make people pay for kicking him. has to hurt, and the only problem is that so far the only counter that I see he has is sometimes he'll try to tag you with a punch, but now you're talking about a guy who's kicking, which is a long distance weapon, and then me trying to get you with a punch immediately afterwards without jamming the kick to begin with, uh, and that's not always a very consistent, uh, uh, tactician, uh, tactical application of that you know counter, and so uh, you know, but if he fixes that, that was I mean. Now it's like, well, shit. I mean, Cody was looking good. You know, I mean, you've seen he almost finished him in the first round. So you're right. I mean, if they were to fight again and Garbrandt's guys fixed that aspect of his game, then now we're we're talking now a real exciting fight.
0: Now, after the fight, TJ Dillashaw gets the bantamweight title back around his waist and promptly calls out the flyweight champ, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. He said that uh, he thinks that Johnson ducked him and that he is uh, he TJ is now going to go down to flyweight and challenge for that title. We you and I both thought that it was not the time to make that fight before DJ broke the all-time consecutive title defense record, but now that he has, do you like the idea of making that oh, fight?
1: Oh, 100%. And I think that you know as long as DJ's contract gives him pay-per-view buys, then he needs to make that fight too. There's yeah. no reason not to. Um, you know, he's going to have advantages on his side that, yes, he's fighting a guy who's technically maybe bigger than him, but he's fighting a guy who's going to have to suffer down to 125. TJ is actually taking a big gamble to, to move down to fight. I mean, to, to make that cut uh, down to, uh, you know, to fly weight. So he's going to have to be in the first time he's going to deal with that. If I was TJ's uh, coach or manager, I would probably want him. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, shit, man, I mean, are we going to try to do a test run? Mm-hmm. How do you know how you're going to feel after getting down to not 126 to 125? Yeah, You're going to cut 10 extra pounds. How are you going to feel the night of the fight? And then we're going to fight the world's best fighter pound for pound in the world. That's a huge leap. but I mean, TJ seems to relish challenges and drive up and, and face them. So really at this point, I was on johnson's side for as far as avoiding it the first time because you know his record i thought that the fight should have been about him breaking the most consecutive record mm-hmm. title defenses but in this situation it makes all the sense in the world like yeah. i can't see i mean i'd have to wait and hear like what would be your argument for no
0: and it should be a great uh, like you said a, a a great payday for dj it should be i, I would love to see this be the fight that finally gets him appreciated in terms of pay-per-view by numbers. Because you would be, um, if if you have the, the discretionary income, you would really be missing out to not buy that pay-per-view if that's the main event, in my opinion. I think that'd be a very exciting fight. Oh, no, no,
1: it's, it's majorly compelling. And then now you're talking about maybe having a more, in fact, actually, out of the, if, let's say, in a perfect world, Connor did it, no, no. George does it, becomes a two division champion.
2: Yeah.
1: I don't see George really effectively defending both belts. Uh, you know, I, I could see him doing well at welterweight, obviously, you know, but the middleweight, it just, you know, I know he got the win over Bisbing, but you know, there's a lot of guys at middleweight that are much bigger than he is. And, mm-hmm. and I just you know, it's not an easy you know, it's not a I don't feel as confident as if Cody's able to defeat Demetrius. And, and be able to fight at that weight and beat the best guy in the world, cleaned it out. Now he can go back and forth. It's like, well, shit, you actually have a guy in TJ Dillashaw who legitimately could defend two belts. Yeah. Yeah. Then there's a couple of real interesting. And intang- Then it becomes the first guy that does that. I mean, yeah. not just collecting belts, but actually maintaining them. Yeah. And there's also there's a couple of real interesting,
0: uh, you know, X factors in in that matchup, because let's say that uh, let's say that Dillashaw comes down to 125, has a hard time with the weight cut or whatever. DJ beats him. Okay. Well, now maybe there's a call for DJ to go up to 135 and challenge for the bantamweight title. I mean, DJ has not done as well at one—that's that's where he's lost in the past, like when he lost to Cruz because he was fighting outside of his natural weight class. I don't think he has to do that now. But I think, let's say if he and Dillashaw make an interesting matchup, but, but uh, Mighty Mouse bests him at 125, I could see us looking at it as fans yeah. and going, oh, okay, but let's see what happens when you, you know, advantage— on, on the the other home turf, right? Let's try that, and you know. Then we'll now see what DJ happens. might become the two belts. Yeah, two. you know. Let's see what happens. I I think that could be very interesting. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you another thing too about those two guys fighting is that both of those fighters, Dillashaw and and Mighty Mouse, have something in common that I love about them, and it's that both of them will go for a finish when they are comfortably ahead on scorecards. Dillashaw did it when he fought Burrell. Yeah. He was, I mean, all he had to do was sit on a lead. Um, Dillashaw also did it against Joe Soto when Soto stepped in as a last-minute uh, replacement when Burrell wasn't able to make weight. Both of those fighters, he could have just sat on a lead, um, but he didn't, and uh, he he finished them uh, late in both of them fifth round, I believe. I know Burrell was fifth round. I think That's right, right? Fourth or fifth, late in the fight. Uh, but with uh, Mighty Mouse has done the same thing, yeah. He you has know? the record, he has the right. Re- that's right. We would talk about records that cannot be broken, even if somebody ever beats his consecutive title defense record. No one will ever be able to beat the uh, he has the record for the latest uh finish in UFC history four minutes and 59 seconds into a five round fight. It's impossible to beat it. It will only ever be matched. But he did that. He's done that more than uh, more than once. I mean, in, in my opinion, he, he basically did the same thing against uh, Ray Borg here this last time out. You know, yeah. that um, he could have, had he wanted to just coast to play it safe, he could have beaten him on the card. So the fact that both those guys do that, I think, would be really exciting if you saw him match up together. So that makes a lot of sense to me now. Uh, maybe the biggest surprise of the night was uh, in the women's strawweight division. Not maybe, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, uh, the champion. I uh, feel you-
1: bad because right before the fight, I was we were in the living room and we were t- picking fights and stuff. And, and I, my wife goes, oh, "I rose." And I'm like, and I looked at her like, "Are you crazy?" There was, if Rose makes it three rounds, I'll give her a fucking a kudos. Yeah. Like, hey, good job for you. I couldn't have been more wrong.
0: Well, she didn't make it three rounds because she only needed one. Yeah. <laughs> she, she KO'd Joanna. I Janjacek. never would have called it. Yeah. 100% uh,
1: never saw that coming in a million years.
0: A TKO three minutes and three seconds into the first round. Now, did you see Janjacek tap to the strokes? Yeah, I saw it the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so yeah, you see
1: John standing there. I'm like, oh, is he going to jump in? I mean, he's given Joanna a lot of leeway to get through. I think the fight would have been stopped a lot sooner on other people, but it's a championship fight. He's sitting there watching, and then you see her like, okay, fuck, stop it. Yeah,
0: I mean, I knew uh, Nami Yunus was going to have a ground advantage. I just thought the problem is getting it there because I I thought Janjic would be able to keep it standing, but I don't think anybody that uh, even thought that uh, Naman Yunus might be able to pull out a win was picking her by uh, uh, strikes, by TKO. And, yeah, I uh, just
1: didn't see her being able to take Joanna down. And, I mean, Joanna, I mean, on her feet, kills everybody. I yeah. mean, I thought that for sure it had been a kickboxing match, and I think Rose has good stand-up skills, uh, you know, but I didn't think they would match just the tenacity and power that – that uh uh has. And like I said, man, I couldn't have been more wrong about a fight. Like, in fact, out of all the fights, all my friends, you know, you know, they bet, they always call me, yeah. you know, Hey, what do you think about this one? I'm like, Oh, that's the easiest bet. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it was incredible. Now, now how much of it do you think, because, you know, we saw uh, coming off of the ultimate fighter season that uh, Nami Yunus was on with Carla Esparza, who became the first women's strawweight title, uh, holder, you know, it was Nama Yunus and Carla in the finals. A lot of people had picked Nama Yunus to win that fight. I thought she was going to win that yeah, fight. Yeah. Asparza ends up winning. I but thought
1: Esparza was always very one dimensional.
0: Yeah. But all we saw from that point forward was Nama Yunus evolving and working and getting better. So, how much of that uh, outcome last night do you think was? Nami Unis' improvement, juxtaposed to, do you think there was anything that looked in any way off about uh, Ioana's game?
1: No. I mean, I thought you. I don't either. I, I, I mean, if unless she comes back and says she had an injury or something, mm-hmm. but I didn't see that. I, I had didn't see it see, I didn't think Ioana was starting out having a great first round. She seemed kind of forcing her techniques. She didn't seem smooth. But I've almost kind of learned to accept that with her, that— She's lost first rounds before. I mean, mm-hmm. Valerie Letourneau won the first round against her. Uh, I've seen her in fights not win the first round. The thing that I've always been impressed with Joanna with is that after the first round, it seems like she always adapts, makes that adjustment, and then, then just comes out and just slaughters her opponent. Yeah. So it's not that she's a slow starter, but I think just, you know, she, it takes her a second to get her rhythm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, like you know, okay. And well, Rose
0: didn't give didn't give her the time.
1: No, not at all. Mm-mm. Caught her with the flash uh, knockdown to begin with, stunned her, and then when she got back up, man, that's left hook. I mean, shit.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it it was uh you know it, it's uh it, it, that was as Frank said the the surprise outcome uh of the night, but uh, I always enjoy watching uh, Yunus fight, so I don't think that in any way this is a uh, uh, a downturn for the division in fact uh you want to talk about you know no-brainer rematches i think uh 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 Ioana has certainly a claim to make for a oh, rematch. Absolutely. i don't know if we get it right away or not but sure <sighs> would be fun to unless see it again
1: naman Yunez fights not to have that immediate rematch yeah i mean how do you not give jaysek a rematch yeah you basically gave it to Ronda Rousey when she came back because how dominant she was as the... That's
0: a good point. Yeah, exactly. I mean,
1: she didn't immediately get a rematch against who took her belt, but she had got an immediate title shot as soon as she came back. And You know, Ana Jacek was number one fighter in the world's division, uh, female fighter. How do you not, if if Mm -hmm. she wants to immediately fight Rose again, it it would be... uh, then you if she doesn't get that case made for her then nobody gets that case because yeah. there's very few times you have a champion that dominant in a division you know and not be able to get an immediate rematch wouldn't make sense then for anybody else to ever receive that
0: we talked about the Stephen Thompson, Jorge Masvidal fight uh, a little while ago at the beginning of the show. But, yeah. uh, you know, this was a stylistic difference. I didn't see it 30-26, but I definitely saw it 30-27 all rounds in favor of uh, Stephen Thompson. And he's, you know, he's, the, he's like the karate kickboxing version of... Uh, of Damian Maya kind of in a way to me in terms of like, you know, what's going to happen. It's just a question of, can you compete with that style or can you not? Is it going to frustrate you the entire fight or is it not? Tyrone Woodley, uh, found ways to win against, uh, Steven Thompson, but we've seen him frustrate fighters, you know, in the past and just be able to keep them from really being able to get off. I mean, Masvidal certainly he had his moments, but, uh, Thompson definitely, uh, you know, this was his night. Now, he uh, will now remain a top-ranked uh, uh, welterweight. Well, both will, but but Thompson now is just you know right there around the, the the highest of echelons. But he's got two losses against the champion Tyron Woodley. So you, I, I think All it's the reason that George is exactly. <laughs> but the other interesting thing about that is Thompson and GSP train together. So you got one of those deals maybe coming down the pike. You know, you wonder if at some point you got – and I know GSP isn't uh, – you know, he's more versatile than most with his camps. I mean, he moves around. He uses a lot of different guys to do a lot of different things. But it is interesting to consider that if Thompson keeps hanging around the top of that division and eventually GSP and Woodley fight, if GSP's the new champ, you might have a uh, friends having to make a decision kind of scenario, you know front of you uh all right uh johnny hendricks kicked off the main card fighting uh, undefeated brazilian up-and-comer paulo costa costa defeats hendricks via tko one minute 23 seconds into the second round i'll tell you this for as tough of a time as of late as johnny hendricks has been having i didn't think he looked particularly bad in this fight i thought he looked resilient with Costa, I think this was just a matter of Costa looked much bigger than him. He's obviously he's a young guy. I mean, he's on the he's on the uptick. Um, I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination it was a particularly memorable night for Hendricks. I'm just saying, compared to recently where we've seen him, and you're just like, okay, is he is he just gassed out? Is he he just didn't look ready to fight? Whatever. I I think he was hanging in there as best he could. Against Costa and at least made Costa work for his victory. But I think what we get coming out of that fight is that Costa is definitely got uh, bigger fights and bigger names ahead of him. And then unfortunately, um, Johnny Hendricks is just a few more steps into that kind of limbo feel he's been in. You know, yeah. in terms of a former champion, that's you know you just don't know exactly where to where to put him now in terms of where his career sits.
1: Well, and I think actually the issue with him and Travis and we were having this conversation before we started taping, right? Yeah. reiterated for those at home, um, he makes a perfect case for why you don't push your kids too hard when they're young. I personally feel that Hendricks has burnt out on the whole weight cutting thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's what you've seen the last three or four years of his career, why he had a struggled with welterweight towards the end. Uh, fighting there. now, I mean, the guy moves up to middleweight and can't even make that weight. You know, how many times has he not missed at middleweight? And he thought he was going to miss this time. Yeah. Uh, you look at his body for a guy who used to cut weight for free, you know, for college education. Uh, now you can't get the guy to cut weight to save his life. I mean, yeah. think about it. as much money as he makes every time he misses weight, he has to give a percentage of that purse away. And, it doesn't even inspire him enough to go fuck it, uh, you know. Regardless of, of what you you know fighting better, it's like well, you're even your guaranteed money. You're giving up a percentage of, yeah. I just don't care that much, and he just doesn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that you know it's not that he's it's a mental weakness thing. I just think it's it's called burnout, and I just think that that's what Hendrix is suffering from, is that he doesn't want to be at the appropriate weight class. He doesn't want to cut weight, so even at middleweight, you know, he's carrying around a lot of body fat that's not helping him win fights. Mm, I mean, the- he has a short reach to begin with at Welgerweight. He has an abnormally He looks like a T-Rex fighting at middleweight. He's given up so much reach. His mobility is shit now because, you know, changing levels and going on someone's legs, it's harder for him because he's shooting weighing 200 pounds. He never weighed that in college, so all his muscle memory and all his timing that's been de- developed over years years of a certain body weight and certain body type he can't even fall back on because it's like well now he's trying to learn how to fight with a whole new body again late into his career and i think he just it all stems from the fact that the guy's been cutting weight since he's probably what six seven eight years old yeah you know they're wrestling oklahoma and i you know just it's too much for him
0: well it's it's tough because I pull for Johnny. I just on a on a personal note. I mean, we're, nice we're 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 from the same uh, area. Uh, well, he's originally from Oklahoma, but he's a, he's a Dallas Fort Worth guy now. It's where he lives. But he has always been not only just a super nice guy, but something that, and maybe it's not quite as appreciated if you don't work in media or something like that. He's a guy who always gives you a good interview. And by good, I don't mean just the trash talking and the sound bites and stuff. He's a guy that listens to your question and gives you a thoughtful answer. He doesn't give you a lot of cliche answers. Conversations I've had with him before about strategies and game plans and matchups and stuff like that, even if I was the eighth or tenth interview he'd done that day, and even if he was half out of his mind from trying to cut weight, um, I just always appreciated that about him. I you think know? he's the
1: consummate uh, country boy, just yeah. well mannered and just you know easygoing guy. That you know a ferocious competitor. Uh, I just think that you know, I just think he's burnt out on the weight cutting, and I think that is just. So much like I was pointing out, there's so many things that fall into that domino effect spreading out of different mm-hmm. areas. It's causing him just to really have a hard time. You just you can't fight the caliber fighters that he's at being asked to fight at that much of a deficit. And I think the deficit just starts with. The guy doesn't want to cut weight anymore.
0: You know what? He trained with uh, Jackson Winklejohn Camp out of Albuquerque for the first time for this fight. And I don't think he spent quite as much time there as he would have liked to. Uh, so he, prior to the fight, he was saying that he would continue to train with him, And my understanding was actually try to be there more for uh, subsequent fights. So maybe, maybe that helps. Because I'll tell you this. He didn't look... Unprepared. No. I mean, like I said, so so
1: maybe... For what he's dealing with, yeah, that's, for what he walks into the cage yeah. with, he's doing well with. Yeah. It's just that he's starting. I mean, it's like we're having a race and he's wearing a 100-pound backpack. Yeah. It's like, well, you could try as hard as you want. You pretty so, much lost this before we started.
0: Well, the And so what I was going to say is that maybe we will see more residual benefits from that new relationship with Jackson's yeah. camp, Winkle John camp. Maybe we started to see some of it, maybe it will actually help him especially if he's going to spend more time there for his next training camp. We'll see.
1: I think you know what he needs is some time off.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: I mean, maybe just, you know, a long enough break to where he gets the bug back. Uh, somewhere where his desire to want to, you know, I mean, fuck, cutting weight. I'm not gonna <laughs> eating right is hard for almost everybody I know, mm-hmm. uh, and so if he's lost that drive and he's burnt out, something to cause that fuel to want to get him to want to. If he does that aspect and gets his weight back under control, I think that he's still a very dangerous fighter. He has all the tools there. Everything that got him to be Johnny Hendricks is still there. Is just it's uh you know being hindered by the excess weight you know what we
0: should do for Johnny we should send him the promo code <laughs> phone booth for freshlycom yeah. that's what we should do uh, all right uh, let's run through uh, these prelims too real quick because this was even the prelims on this card there 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 were a couple of fights very early on that I missed but every fight that I said just because I was at Ozfest last night I was uh, I had the, the most metal-tastic of... Uh, boy, all I was missing was Matt Brown uh, with me last night, and it would have been the most metal of all evenings of 2017. So uh, I had to watch these about 4 o'clock in the morning when I got back from San Bernardino. But um, our buddy James Vick, the Executioner, becomes the first fighter to ever knock out Joe Duffy uh uh he defeats Duffy via TKO 4 minutes and 59 seconds into round uh this says my recap says round 1 that's no. a mistake it's, it's round, round two. 2 um uh i thought Duffy won the first round against Vic uh, uh in a pretty yeah. calculated manner i mean it was close but but it looked like uh Vic took that first round to kind of figure out his range and that sort of thing and in the second round, I thought Vic had that. I thought uh, Duffy's output had dramatically dipped. I thought uh, Vic was uh, connecting much and using his his range because you know he goes in. He's, he's six foot three and weighs yeah. one hundred fifty five pounds. Um, began to use that, and then he finished him just uh, with about a second left of the the second round. Um, uh, James, by the way, I was uh, I was talking to him this morning, and uh, I th- he's going to come on with us Wednesday. Cool. He's very excited to come on to phone booth fighting and call out his next opponent, because uh, I tell you what, he is really taking your advice to heart, Frank. About you know, use that inter- use those interview opportunities to let him know what you want. And he did last night. You know, you watch his uh, post fight comments. He said, "Listen, I am eight and one." And I'm unranked. He said, Name another fighter who's eight and one in their division and is unranked. And he said, You know, I've called out every fighter. He mentioned uh, uh, Dustin Poirier, Anthony Pettis, uh, mentioned two or three other ones. And he said, You know, I troll them on Twitter and they act like they don't know who I am. They know exactly who I am. And I want a ranked opponent. And he did call out an event. There's going to be a fight in Texas, I think in February. Uh, and he wants to be on that fight card. I'm sure he'll tell us more about that on Wednesday uh, when we have him here on Phone Booth Fighting. But, you know, he really does seem like a guy. He was a, he was an unheralded guy when he came on to the Ultimate Fighter and then uh, had, had a few injury issues to deal with, eventually lost to Michael Chiesa, who was the winner of the Ultimate Fighter that year. But I think he's a guy who um, has really... Really takes control of his career, and for as young of a guy as he is, he really seems to just have an acute awareness of the importance of what he's doing—not only with his with his fists and with his feet, but also with his mouth. Taking uh, the opportunity to uh, ask for for what he wants.
1: Yeah, no, I think that we, we, what we mentioned to him was you know, when you're asked a question, you know, take it over. Give the yeah. answer to you. I mean, you know, if people are just asking generic questions, just, you know, give it a quick answer, but then turn around and you can f- morph that into what you want to say. It's like, yeah, okay, yes, yes to this, but this is where I want, you know, and you can just uh, go through it and you could see that, you know, through social media and through his interviews and then he's doing what's most important is winning winning fights and yeah. putting guys away. I mean, finishing guys. And, and uh, the first round, I thought that he didn't fight You know, Duffy was moving a lot and throwing punches, but he started pulling and and landed a lot of jabs that I think effectively shut Duffy down even in the Mm -hmm. second round. Mm -hmm. I think I even thought that he won the first round, but it was just... He might have. uh, I
0: didn't even actually look at Judge's scorecard, so I don't know how they
1: I don't know how... You're right. Yeah. But uh, I didn't think it was a blowout. I thought it was him still trying to figure out Duffy. Yeah. And, uh, And then once he started hitting his rhythm and figured him out, Then obviously, I mean, uh, you've seen the beginnings of that uppercut occurring even in the first round where he threw it. and It was like, wow. He put a lot of horsepower on that. And uh, Duffy wasn't being able to react to it properly. And then finally, he caught him again right up against the cage with that uppercut. I mean... Completely rocked Duffy, dropped him down, and then was able to turn the corner on him and uh, finish him with strikes.
0: Prior to that, uh, a, an unfortunate outcome in the heavyweight division, as uh, Walt the Big Ticket Harris is disqualified for a late hit uh, about four and a half minutes into the first round against Mark Godbeer. Um, Harris was coming off of that that same day replacement fight that he got. Uh, against Fabricio Verdum, if you remember that. Fabricio Verdum was supposed to fight uh, the Black Beast, Eric Lewis. Uh, the Beast got hurt. Harris was already on the card. He stepped up. He fought Verdum, lost that fight, but, uh, you know, a great opportunity for him, and I, I thought it was good to see him get back in there, you know, four weeks later, try to get back on uh, the winning side of things. And uh, what happened, uh, the, the unfortunate circumstance in this fight was Harris was doing well, um, He kneed Godbeer low to the groin. Uh, Godbeer uh, put his arm out, winced, you know, at the, 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 the groin strike. The referee, who was sort of behind Harris when the blow connected, starts yelling time, time, time. You could hear it. He was calling time out for the low blow, and then he move to get to get an arm in front of Harris as well at the same time as Harris threw a left high kick to a retreating Godbeer connected with Godbeer's head, wobbled him. Godbeer goes down to his knees. Uh, doctors come in, deem that he is unable to continue, and the referee uh, disqualifies Harris. Now, uh, my thought on that was this, Frank. Um, first of all, I don't think... Uh, Harris did it intentionally, No, um, but he is no. responsible for the control of the situation. Now, here's what I thought. I don't know how he couldn't have heard the referee yelling yeah, time. The
1: referee was even kind of, I thought was already touching him as he started throwing the kick. And, and even, I mean, there were so many factors that as a fighter, I'm yeah. aware of them. Like, well, the fact you throw a strike low and the guy turns around, just so putting his hand, that sometimes already starts calling your attention, like, oh shit, was it a low blow? You know, you mm-hmm. see fighters do it all the time. We throw an inside leg kick, we throw, you know, a knee to the belly, you'll see someone wince, and immediately even before the referee comes over. You you go Oh shit all right low blow right. I get it you know what I mean like yeah. you know uh,
0: you don't also knowing where your knee hit because it wasn't on the borderline it was it was clearly yeah. a low blow so and, it's kind of like you know the, the knee is, went to the groin it
1: ain't like it's soft the guy's wearing a cup right you felt it you know what I mean Your yeah. knee has no padding on it yeah so I mean there was a lot of factors that I, I wonder why Walt and not that he's a dirty fighter yeah but like maybe just from a lack of experience in the gym sparring yeah. that like none of these I mean there was so Everybody many layers of. To, to break you from the trance of fighting that it didn't break him, And you can even see him through the kick and the guy has his arm on him. It's like he was still in yeah. fight mode. Like.
0: He he said to the referee that he didn't hear the referee yell time. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you take him at his word for that. The one thing I will say in defense of Harris, when I watched the replay a couple of times, when the referee did try to get his arm in there, I thought at the angle the referee was coming in that Harris's foot was basically right was about to, to connect too. yeah that was the one that I thought he had a legitimate case on because depending on which angle because at first you look at it and you go wait a second the referee's already in between them but after I looked at it from a different angle to me I could see it to where Harris is basically can't pull that leg back before he realizes there's an arm of the referee coming in front of him but the part about him yelling time um, I think it may have just been Harris getting carried away there you know, and yeah. he was immediately apologetic about it. But yeah, no. unfortunately, that's I why think you can he tell just, he's not a
1: dirty fighter because yeah. his reaction afterwards wasn't like I mean, you, you've seen those guys in f- kickboxing and MMA that, you know, that, that foul somebody and they have that look on their face that you could tell, like, they don't give a shit. that They just fouled you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I think it was just a, a, a tough outcome for for Harris. Um,
1: yeah. A shitty situation.
0: Yeah. Something that bothered me that kind of got uh, buried in all that. Uh, is the fact that Mark Godbeer's nickname is Hand of? It makes sense when you say it all together, Mark Hand of Godbeer. But if you're just calling him by his nickname, like we say Mighty Mouse, you're gonna just call him Hand of. <laughs> it's awkward, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Some of the nicknames only. I mean, it's kind of like uh, Bader's, Darth. Yeah, Darth by itself was kind of like what? Yeah, that's
0: true. You need the that's a good point.
1: Yeah, you need Darth Bader, you're like, oh, ah yeah. okay.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. You gotta make sure you say the whole name. Uh, also, um, uh, Ovent St. Prue defeats uh, Corey Anderson. I didn't see the bonuses. Did uh, did does anybody see the but did Saint Prue get bonused? He should have. Wow. That that head kick that uh, knocked Corey Anderson out cold. Anderson, by the way, who was looking good against uh, Saint Prue. Saint Prue is an interesting fighter. I, again, he's a guy that I personally like, just having interviewed him in the past and stuff like that. But uh, he's got these sort of interesting curiosities about him, like the fact that he's got—is uh, it two or three von Flew chokes now? I think there's a total of four ever or five. I think there's a total of Four or five in the history of the UFC. One of them is by Jason Von Flew. That's how rare it is. But then St. Preux has finished. It's either two if not three fights by that same choke. I just think that's kind of interesting when you've got some little weird curiosity like (laughs) that on your record. Uh, But St. Preux... Uh, lays out uh, Anderson with a with a high head kick. One minute twenty five seconds into round three, and uh, you know Saint Prue is. Uh I think he came into that fight maybe ranked sixth in the light heavyweight division. So, you know, he's a guy to watch because even though he had uh, um, a marginal night against John Jones well, when he got that title shot, Jones is gone now. Uh, Daniel Cormier was sitting right there cage side. And, uh, you know, it's a new day in the light heavyweight division.
1: Yeah, and the kick that he landed on, uh, Corey, is the same kick that John landed on. D.C.? Yeah, from a southpaw stance, the left round. True.
0: True. So uh, maybe we see that fight at some point in the division. I missed the Mickey Gall, Randy Brown fight. Uh, Brown defeats Gall, uh, unanimous decision 29 28 on two scorecards 29 27. I did too because
1: fucking college football
0: oh that is the worst let me say i didn't know about that because
1: usually i mean like uh, someone else is always controlling the tv for me so i i I had a tape we're cleaning the garage james comes over raymond's over i'm like all right guys you know let's let me finish up out here with the wife We'll get into an hour into it so I don't have to listen to other commentators who suck. Yeah. (laughs) I don't have to watch commercials. We can just fast forward through this shit. So then I get there and I start doing it and all of a sudden I see college football. I'm like, did I tape the wrong fucking thing? And then I'm like... And then, then James is like, no, that's why we have to usually tape both channels. I'm like, I hate. That. I'm like, oh fuck, because usually James gets yeah. here and he takes care of everything for me. I'm like, oh fuck, I thought I had everything done right. I there guess
0: is nothing worse. The same, it's the same exact thing happened to me. Now I realize why I missed it because you're right. That's why I, I, go, I hit my DVR. It's supposed to be on FS1 and the it's it's Midwestern University against Ding Dong State. And the first thing you hear is the commentator go, if you're tuning in for uh, UFC 217 prelims, you can go over to FS2 and see. I'm like, how can this not be fixed somehow in the modern age? I mean, beyond just jumping over to another channel. uh, How can it not just know that that's what I want to see and and (laughs) flip it? It seemed like they could do something in the coding that would let you know to to uh, change the channel. But anyway, that's a long way of saying that we, we missed that uh, that fight. I did not miss uh, Alexi Olenek taking on Curtis Blades. Now, this was same referee with that weird outcome, Walt Harris and Mark Godbeer, later on the card. But in this one, um, Blades defeats Olenek by... TKO a minute and 56 seconds in the second round, but the way it happened was very weird. Did you see this one? This was a fight wow. pass card. Okay, I'll just briefly describe it. So so what happened was um, Olenek was basically, to a large extent, beaten by Blades, but Olenek's tough as nails when it comes to putting him out. So he was down on his knees, Blades instinctively and, and erroneously, basically threw a what would have amounted to a soccer kick to the head but it missed right so rather than throw it to the body throws it to the head and it just grazed Olenek's ear I mean just barely grazed it right so really no physical effect whatsoever however when it happened rightfully so referee Stops the action to check on him to see if it affected him. Doctor comes in, looks at Olenek, and says, "No, it didn't. That kick didn't hurt him. But this guy's out of it. Fights over. So Blades wins via TKO. So it was It was kind of like the MMA equivalent of getting pulled over for having a headlight out, and then yeah. they find a warrant that's yeah. out for you, and you're off to jail. So um, kind of a weird outcome uh, with that fight." And then I also missed uh, Ricardo Ramos and uh, Eamon Zahabi uh, on uh, the—that was the first fight of the uh, fight pass prelims. uh, Ramos defeats Zahabi by a spinning back elbow at a minute 58 seconds of round three. I may have to go back and look at that one. But all in all, fantastic card. I was really happy with this one. And then
1: uh, the Bellator the night before.
0: Yes. So uh, the night before Bellator was at Penn State University. Uh, you had a couple of Penn State wrestling standouts Kale on Sanderson the card. Was, Kale Sanderson was not only there, the head coach of Penn State wrestling, he was there, but he was uh, even jumped in on color commentary for a little bit. Ed Ruth um, uh, won his fight. He is, a, uh, I think, a three-time national champion yeah, three-time for Penn last... State. Uh, fights over in the Bellator organization. Uh, he um uh i defeated, think he only lost
1: like two or three times ever in his college career.
0: yeah yeah he uh defeated uh, Demp- what maybe- is Dempsey what is what is Dempsey's first name he used to fight in the UFC we'll figure that out in a second um but uh he uh uh knocked uh, Dempsey out cold uh and uh the impressive uh outing. And the Bellator card, and then um, uh, Phil Davis wins a uh, unanimous decision, and then the the uh, headlining fight was Ryan Bader defending his light heavyweight title over there in the Bellator organization against Linton Vassell, and he finished Vassell in the uh, second or third round? Second round? We just watched it. I think I it was the second round. But did Bader win second or third? I thought the Third. Maybe it was the third. It was three of a scheduled five.
1: He caught the uh, yeah the wrist and was able to uh, he had good control. Bader's very good against the cage. He's good close up boxing. Yeah, I think still the only thing about Bader is just man, he's just very robotic with his footwork on the outside. I mean, he kind of almost like marches, and mm-hmm. you can see he he's, he looks like he's marching. Mm-hmm. You know, he just stomps his feet and is very like he can't dance yeah <laughs> if right now we laid down a tune he'd be the worst dancer <laughs> yeah. in all of the mma world yeah you just you could tell he's just not a rhythmic guy but yeah extremely powerful and then he caught that wrist and held on to the half guard and uh you know very good understanding of how to tie the body up there um it's actually how i lost to brock in our second fight grabbing that wrist from behind the back sitting on it and and sitting between the legs uh, and scissoring them so that way you can't twist either direction and and if, if you can hit hard and you get in that position um you can do a lot of damage he did well there
0: yeah so uh bellator uh had a night of their own this past friday night and uh a good night for uh not only the 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 marquee free agent signing of uh ryan bader that they had but also an up-and-comer uh like Ed ruth it was exciting to see him uh look as good as he did friday night and then you know people are asking people are asking on social media uh frank about you and uh, okay, all right. You got the Bellator deal now. When is the Bellator fight? Nothing for sure is scheduled, but it's going to be sometime in the spring, I would assume, right?
1: Yeah, uh, April being you know, uh, free and clear of any mm-hmm. UFC obligations to be able to, uh, to to compete. So hopefully, you know, as soon as April hits, we can you know schedule something maybe in you know February. I hope to have something you know on the uh, uh, the docket so we mm-hmm. know what we're getting ready for and then be able to go full stream ahead. And,
0: very good. So that's the latest news on uh, Frank's next fight. I guess we'll put a wrap on that. I got to go do comedy tonight. I got two shows tonight. I'm doing the 8 and the 10 tonight oh. over at the Stratosphere. The 10 o'clock I'm opening for our buddy uh, Butch Bradley, and the other one I'm doing uh, opening for Sam Conroe. We got to talk on uh, uh, maybe the next episode. I'll have to play you some audio, but I won the first round of my that's roast right. battle. Yeah, I did a, a comedy roast battle. Never done that before, and I did it uh, Friday night. I had to get up and.
1: Was basically, it close? Was it a blowout?
0: I won a unanimous decision. Nice. On, uh, it's basically three judges, and they pick one or the other. So I won all three judges' scorecards. But the guy uh, that I uh, competed against, uh, 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 Spiro Savalis, who I had not met before, I would never worked with him or anything like that. He was competitive. It was a good, good back and forth. I'll let you off to get your opinion. See what yeah, you think. I'll In listen. fact, um. I might get uh, Spiro to, to give us a, a call or something when we go over it and get his uh, get his thoughts. Because it was weird to write to insult someone, one, that you don't know, and two, turned out to be a really nice guy. Yeah. Like, I met him. He's like the nicest guy. You know, it was I, In fact, I even told him uh, as we were sort of standing there chatting it up before we went out and, and uh, tried to rip each other to shreds. I said, uh, you know, from my days back of working in pro wrestling, this is what it's like behind the curtain. Where it's just two guys say, hey, how was your day? Well, uh, you know, went out spent it with the family. Yeah, nice day. You know, and then, you know, you're out in front of the camera 10 minutes later. You're like, let me tell you something. I'm going to take you down in the steel cage. You won't (laughs) won't be anything left of you, you know. So it was a little bit like that. But uh, it was fun. And uh, I guess we go now. There's another round on uh, November 17th. And that's the quarterfinals. And then it goes semifinals, finals. So. With a little luck, um, I'll get to go further. and Well, I might at least get one more round in yeah. in a couple of weeks, so uh, we'll keep you posted on how I do. All right. Uh, what about you, Travis? Travis is back in uh, studio. He's been, uh, he's been away. He's been away, been traveling a little bit. He's been, he, what he's really been doing is working a lot of uh, – uh, marathon construction. And so the, the, the listeners have suffered because of it, because they've been seeing me try to do the, the one man band, uh, thing on the, the production. So I've been apologizing for that left and right, but you've been, you've been working, uh, yeoman's hours on the construction site. What's been happening?
2: Yeah, we're, uh, we're over there at the palms. The Fratitas bought the palms mm-hmm. from the Maloofs and they're, they're doing a major renovation. So, uh, we're, uh, wrecking shop over there, tear oh, okay. a lot of the casino out and uh, the pool and stuff like that. And so
0: they're they're getting rid of the pool. The Fortitas are like no pool. No, they don't they're, want a they're, pool. they re, pave that. over it. Oh, oh, they're doing a newer pool. Yep, yep. It's Oh, all, that's it's that's, all new renovation. That's a better idea because I was. It's not too late. I was going to try to talk them out of that because you you want your casino have a pool. Yeah, and okay. they want it,
2: they want it done right away. So we're working. Okay, working six days a week, crazy hours yeah. until okay. that's done. So, what My else apologies, I, I've been gone a lot. That's
0: all right. It's okay. You know, you gotta gotta pay the
2: bills. What What
0: else are you? Uh, what are the, were they? What other bells and whistles are they adding? Are they adding a uh, performance center? Are they doing that over at the Palms? You know, for I'm, I'm not
2: sure. All, all we're involved in is, uh-huh. uh, is the is the the pool deck up on the roof okay. and uh, the Rain nightclub demo. Frank, I think sure I think Travis
0: on. knows more than he's saying. He seems a little guarded right now. He'll wait till we're off air. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Very good. Well, you can follow Travis and uh, his construction exploits on Twitter at uh, Scuba T Diving. T as in Travis. Frank, tell him about the Amazon banner on phoneboothfighting.com. That's pretty important.
1: Yeah, it's one of the easiest ways to support the show. Anytime you do any of your online shopping, if you use Amazon, click through our banner so that any of your purchases, a small percentage at no extra cost to you, comes back to us.
0: Get a new t-shirt design too, up in the store at phoneboothfighting.com, the uh, Phone Booth Fighting Ouija Board t-shirt. Click on uh, the store tab at the top of phoneboothfighting.com and check that one out. I wore that to OzFest yesterday, and I got a lot of compliments on it. Oh, cool. Yeah, because there's a lot of dark souls at OzFest. I can imagine. Maybe I'll do a more uh, thorough review of OzFest as well uh, on uh, the uh, second show of the week this week. We will do a second show of the week. By the way, we didn't do a second show of the week last week. I felt bad because I teased the second show of the week on the first show of the week. And then we ended up not being able to do it, um, but we had some plumbing disasters. We so did. It like, I had a, yeah, I had a plumbing <laughs> disaster and, uh, Frank had, uh, kids to juggle. And, you know, really when it's all said and done, some people have kids, some people have problematic toilets, <laughs> but they can both be equally as taxing depending yes. on the day. Right. Okay. Uh, tell them how to follow us on social media, Frank.
1: At phone booth fighting for facebook and uh, and uh, instagram and snapchat and twitter you can find us at just phone booth fight
0: that's it for frank mirror i'm richard hunter we'll see you right back here next time on phone booth fighting
1: everybody was kung fu fighting. those kids were fast as lightning in fact it was a little bit frightening but they fought